Section 16 of the Underground Railroad, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denise Nordell. The Underground Railroad, Part 4, by William Still. Section 16. Arrival from Virginia, 1859. James Taylor, Albert Gross, and John Greenwich. To see mere lads not twenty-one years of age, smart enough to outwit the very shrewdest and wisest slaveholders of Virginia, was very gratifying. The young men composing this arrival were of this keen-sighted order. James was only a little turned of twenty, of a yellow complexion and intelligent. A trader by the name of George Ayler professed to own James. He said that he had been used tolerable well, not so bad as many had been used james was learning the carpenter trade but he was anxious to obtain his freedom and finding his two companions true on the main question in conjunction with them he contrived a plan of escape and took out his father and mother harrison and jane taylor were left at fredericksburg to mourn the absence of their son albert was in his twentieth year the picture of good health not homely by any means although not of a fashionable color he was under the patriarchal protection of a man by the name of William Price, who carried on farming in Cecil County, Maryland. Albert testified that he was a bad man. John Greenwich was only twenty, a sprightly, active young man of a brown color. He came from Middle Neck, Cecil County, where he had served under William Flintham, a farmer. Sundry arrivals from Maryland, 1859, and other places. James Andy Wilkins and wife Lucinda, with their little boy Charles, Charles Henry Gross, a woman with her two children, one in her arms, John Brown, John Roach, and wife Lammy, and Henry Smallwood. The above-named passengers did not all come from the same place, or exactly at the same time, but for the sake of convenience they are thus embraced under a general head. James Andy Wilkins gave the slip to a farmer by the name of George Biddle, who lived one mile from Cecil, Cecil County, Maryland. While he hated slavery, he took a favorable view of his master in some respects at least, as he said that he was a moderate man in talk, but sly in action. His master provided him with two pairs of pantaloons in the summer and one in the winter, also a winter jacket, no vest, no cap, or hat. James thought the sum total for the entire year's clothing would not amount to more than ten dollars. Sunday clothing he was compelled to procure for himself by working of nights. He made axe handles, mats, etc., of evenings, and caught muskrats on Sunday, and availed himself of their hides to procure means for his most pressing wants. Besides these liberable privileges, his master was in the habit of allowing him two whole days every harvest, and at Christmas time, from twenty-five cents to as high as three dollars and fifty cents, were lavished upon him. His master was a bachelor, a man of considerable means, and kept tolerable good company, and only owned two other slaves, Rachel Ann Dumson and John Price. Lucinda, the companion of James, was twenty-one years of age, good-looking, well-formed, and of a brown color. She spoke of a man named George Ford as her owner. He, however, was said to be of the moderate class of slaveholders, Lucinda being the only slave property he possessed, and she came to him through his wife, who was a Methodist. The master was an outsider, so far as the church was concerned. Once in a great while Lucinda was allowed to go to church, when she could be spared from her daily routine of cooking, washing, etc. Twice a week she was permitted the special favor of seeing her husband. These simple privations not being of a grave character, no serious fault was found with them. Yet Lucinda was not without a strong ground of complaint. 
not long before escaping she had been threatened with the auction block this fate she felt bound to avert if possible and the way she aimed to do it was by escaping on the underground railroad charlie a bright little fellow only three years of age was contented and happy enough lucinda left her father moses edgar wright and two brothers both slaves one belonged to francis crookshanks and the other to captain jim mitchell her mother who was known by the name of betsy wright escaped when she lucinda was seven years of age of her whereabouts nothing further had ever been heard lucinda entertained strong hopes that she might find her in canada charles henry gross began life in maryland and was made to bear the heat and burden of the day in baltimore under henry slaughter proprietor of the ariel steamer owing to hard treatment charles was induced to fly to canada for refuge a woman with two children one in her arms and the other two years of age names etc not recorded came from the district of columbia mother and children appealed loudly for sympathy john brown being at the beck of a man filling the situation of a common clerk in the shoe store of mcgrunders became dissatisfied asking himself what right benjamin thorne his professed master had to his hire he was led to see the injustice of his master and made up his mind that he would leave by the first train if he could get a genuine ticket via the underground railroad he found an agent and soon had matters all fixed he left his father mother and seven sisters and one brother all slaves john was a man small of stature dark with homely features but he was very determined to get away from oppression john and lamby roach had been eating bitter bread under bondage near seaford john was the so-called property of joshua obear a fractious hard-swearing man and when mad would hit one of his slaves with anything he could get in his hands john and his companion made the long journey on foot the former had been trained to farm labor and the common drudgery of slave life being a man of thirty-three years of age with more than ordinary abilities he had given the matter of his bondage considerable thought and seeing that his master got worse the older he got together with the fact that his wife had recently been sold he was strongly stirred to make an effort for canada while it was a fact that his wife had already been sold as above stated the change of ownership was not to take place for some months consequently john took out in a hurry his wife was the property of dr shipley of seaford who had occasion to raise some money for which he gave security in the shape of this wife and mother horsey was the name of the gentleman from whom it was said that he obtained the favor so when the time was up for the payment to be made the doctor was not prepared horsey therefore claimed the collateral the wife and thus she had to meet the issue or make a timely escape to canada with her husband no way but walking was open to them deciding to come this way they prosecuted their journey with uncommon perseverance and success both were comforted by strong faith in god and believed that he would enable them to hold out on the road until they should reach friends henry smallwood saw that he was working every day for nothing and thought that he would do better he described his master washington bonifant as a sort of rowdy who drank pretty hard leaving a very unfavorable impression on henry's mind as he felt almost sure such conduct would lead to a sale at no distant day so he was cautious enough to take the hint in time henry left in company with nine others but after two days on the journey they were routed and separated by their pursuers at this point henry lost all trace of the rest he heard afterwards that two of them had been captured but received no further tidings of the others henry was a fine representative for canada a tall dark and manly-looking individual thirty-six years of age he left his father and mother behind arrival from richmond eighteen fifty nine henry jones and turner foster 
henry was left free by the will of his mistress elizabeth mann but the heirs were making desperate efforts to overturn this instrument of this there was so much danger with a richmond court that henry feared that the chances were against him that the court was not honest enough to do him justice being a man of marked native foresight he concluded that the less he talked about freedom and the more he acted the sooner he would be out of its difficulties he was called upon however to settle certain minor matters before he could see his way clear to move in the direction of canada for instance he had a wife on his mind to dispose of in some way but how he could not tell again he was not in the secret of the underground railroad movement he knew that many got off but how they managed it he was ignorant if he could settle these two points satisfactorily he thought that he would be willing to endure any sacrifice for the sake of his freedom he found an agent of the underground railroad and after surmounting various difficulties this point was settled as good luck would have it his wife who was a free woman although she heard the secret with great sorrow had the good sense to regard his step for the best and thus he was free to contend with all other dangers on the way he encountered the usual suffering and on his arrival experienced the wanted pleasure he was a man of forty-one years of age spare made with straight hair and indian complexion with the indians aversion to slavery turner who was a fellow passenger with henry arrived also from richmond he was about twenty-one a bright smart prepossessing young man he fled from a a mosen a lawyer represented to be one of the first in the city and a firm believer in slavery turner differed widely with his master with reference to this question although for prudential reasons he chose not to give his opinion to said mosen arrival from maryland two young mothers each with babes in their arms anna elizabeth young and sarah jane bell whipped till the blood flowed the appearance of these young mothers at first produced a sudden degree of pleasure but their story of suffering quite as suddenly caused the most painful reflections it was hardly possible to listen to their tales of outrage and wrong with composure both came from kent county maryland and reported that they fled from a man by the name of massey a man of low stature light-complexioned with dark hair dark eyes and very quick temper given to hard swearing as a common practice also that the said massey had a wife who was a very tall woman with blue eyes chestnut-colored hair and a very bad temper that conjointly massey and his wife were in the habit of meeting out cruel punishment to their slaves without regard to age or sex and that they themselves anna elizabeth and sarah jane had received repeated scourgings at the hands of their master anna and sarah were respectively twenty-four and twenty-five years of age anna was of a dark chestnut color while sarah was two shades lighter both had good manners and a fair share of intelligence which afforded a hopeful future for them in freedom each had a babe in her arms sarah had been a married woman for three years her child a boy was eight months old and was named garrett bell elizabeth's child was a girl nineteen months old and named sarah catherine young elizabeth had never been married they had lived with massey five years up to the last march prior to their escape having been bought out of the baltimore slave pen with the understanding that they were to be free at the expiration of five years service under him the five years had more than expired but no hope or sign of freedom appeared on the other hand massey was talking loudly of selling them again threats and fears were so horrifying to them that they could not stand it this was what prompted them to flee as often as six or seven times said elizabeth i have been whipped by master once with the carriage whip and at other times with a rawhide trace the last flogging i received from him was about four weeks before last christmas he then tied me up to a locust tree standing before the door and whipped me to his satisfaction sarah had fared no better than elizabeth according to her testimony 
Three times, said she, I have been tied up. The last time was in planting corn time this year. My clothing was all stripped off above my waist, and then he whipped me till the blood ran down to my heels. Her back was lacerated all over. She had been plowing with two horses, and unfortunately had lost a hook out of her plow. This, she declared, was the head and front of her offending, nothing more. Thus, after all their suffering, utterly penniless, they reached the committee, and were in every respect in a situation to call for the deepest commiseration. They were helped and were thankful. End of section 16. Recording by Denise Nordell, Modesto, California.